What's up, everybody? It's Michael Zakon here. Joined by the one and only Simi Sandu. Who the heck are we? We're two guys in our early 20s. We sold our first company to a major media conglomerate just after graduating college. And to literally no one's surprise, we are now doing a podcast. <laughs> Why should you listen to us? I'd like to think that we're taking the middle finger to how entrepreneurship podcasts have been done historically. Screw the high-level advice. We're going to take you deep into the trenches of what it takes to build with lean entrepreneurship. Actionable strategies, tactics, mental model stories from some of the smartest young people in business. We're going to bring you their stories so that you can steal them and take their tactics and apply them to your own venture. Yeah, so whether it's trying to hack your way into the right rooms, create FOMO with key customers, or building out the right team in the most lean way possible, our goal is that you feel inspired or amped up to go build your next revenue-generating business. So this is going to be the primary format of the show. It's going to be us telling you stories from other young, successful entrepreneurs in 30- to 45-minute episodes one time a week, and we're going to bring in these founders sometimes for an interview. And yeah, I mean, we're going to pepper in our own insights, too. I mean, we've done some shit. Done you some know? shit. We've done some small boy shit. A little bit. I think we got a little bit of credibility up bit. here. Yeah, just a little bit. So let's dive into our first story. You ready for this hook? Let's do it. A 15-year-old kid who's raised a million dollars from his high school's bathroom. Do you know who I'm talking about? I might have a little little bit of an inkling. Does Eric Zoo ring a bell? Yeah, fellow Indiana guy. Yeah, this kid's been all over Twitter. He's become famous for this little shtick wherein he talks to his investors from his high school bathroom by, you know, grabbing the hall pass and skipping out of class. And here he is on his knees with the, you know, the laptop <laughs> sitting on the toilet He's talking to investors in his fund, investors in his startup, and he's the founder of a company called Aviato, which is a search engine for early stage startups. He's raised a million bucks for it. But what might be even more impressive is he's also raised 20 M's for his new venture fund called Bachmanity. Do you know the source of where he got the names for both I think of these I, companies? I think I do. It's from a, a show you like, right? Yeah, Silicon <laughs> Valley. Ehrlich Bachman, a legend. If you are in the startup scene whatsoever, you've probably seen the show. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's so funny, dude, how like how movies and TV shows like really inspire young founders. Yeah. And like it inspired us a lot. Like I guarantee you if I was in this kid's shoes, I would have called my fun Stratton Oakmont. Yeah, you know? dude, he took it to the <laughs> next level, though. It was not even like he just used them for inspiration. He... Name for name, like letter by letter, use the same name of the companies in the show. I mean, he stuck to the shtick. He named both his companies after after the show. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about Eric. So he first started by like streaming Roblox videos on YouTube. And then he ended up running into some kind of like hacker channel. And he ended up being like an early stage employee at a couple of startups starting from the age of 13. So this is like prodigy type shit. Um, works on a few businesses. I think he actually has a few acquisitions. He did like an ed tech company, which had like 50,000 people on a wait list. You know, these were like, like quick exits. I think the first one he was involved with, the second one he founded. Yeah. But he's like obviously built up the most clout for, for Aviato, right? And like the story behind that. And it just goes to show like how powerful storytelling is, right? You have his age, you have this shtick in the bathroom, you have this whole like Twitter personality. And it really goes to show how important it is to have that good narrative behind your company, right? And it reminds me a lot about kind of when we started and that we were building a media company. You know, some people might have looked at it as just some kid making videos and another kid running our, you know, enterprise agency division. But we really had a strong narrative behind it and we really used our age to underpin it. So I think a good lesson from Eric is just how valuable it is 
to use your age to your advantage. I think a lot of entrepreneurs probably think age is like a disadvantage. And there are disadvantages to being young in business. People don't take you seriously off the bat. You have little experience. People kind of string you along and such. We've dealt with this stuff, right? But it can also be an incredible asset. And when you're young, I think you have this license to reach out to anybody who interests you, anybody in the professional world who has done something, you have a license to ask them how they did it and to speak with them. And I think Eric has taken this in an amazing direction. Like he has this great uh, strategy where he would reach out to investors by copying their Twitter handle and it would often be the same uh, Calendly link, right? So Calendly.com slash like Keith Raboy, right? And he'd take the same Twitter username and he'd like book time on their calendar, right? How, like, and then they see this 15-year-old kid who's on their calendar and they're like, oh, I can't say no now, right? And he, there he is, right? And he's confident and he knows how funny he is and he knows that how ludicrous this is, but he knows that it's an incredible advantage and people are going to talk to him. Yeah, he found this shtick, right? Which is he understood that his competency is captivating people. It's getting this attention. And ultimately, like when you think of building a personality around yourself, you want to be a magnet, right? People know you, they want to work with you, whether it's investors, whether it's other people on your team, right? And so he has kind of monopolized this 15-year-old, works in the bathroom of his high school, which he's banned from. Also funny, he right? Got banned. <laughs> yeah. Also talking about bannings, like he's I, I, I saw this post from him this past week, which said that like LinkedIn canceled his account or they paused it because he's not 16 years old. Right. <laughs> yeah. So he just leans into that. Yeah. And that's kind of been his circle of competency. He knows he can get this attention. And out of that, he's went and created businesses. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of building himself up to be like the baby Zuck. Yeah. Right? I mean, if you look at what this kid is doing at 15, could you imagine what he'd be doing? at our? I mean, he makes us feel old. Like, and we feel like we pulled off something pretty big at a young age, but like he is so, so early. Right. Yeah. But I would also say that you don't need to be 15 to use age to your advantage, right? Like if you're a college student or you're like in your early 20s, you absolutely still have that ability, right? Like you're incredibly young. Like you are very young in your early 20s. So for me, like when I got started, I would reach out to various entrepreneurs and executives. I started Our Future as a podcast, right? Before we got into short form video, before we got into our agency stuff. And it would be like, hey, I'm a 20-year-old kid. I've had X, Y, and Z guests, have a little credibility. When I was 20 years old, I made friends with some of the most powerful people in corporate America. Like, I have their contacts in my phone, right? C-suite at Spotify, at Chipotle, at huge businesses. And I was able to do that just because of my age. And not only my age and my curiosity, but because I was giving a platform as well, right? And I think that's a valuable tactic that any young person can steal is if you start an interview newsletter, you start an interview podcast, it's an amazing, amazing way to get started because you're also giving value to them as well. I think also like, here's what holds a lot of young people back, right? They're afraid, right? It is if I take this chance to write an email or reach out to some successful person, like what is the repercussion going to be, right? I think really at the end of the day, the worst thing that can happen is they just don't respond or they respond and they say, you know, not a good time right now. Maybe let's revisit this in the past in the next few months. Right. But I think to your point about you have this license to reach out. These people are so busy. Right. People are hitting their lines 24 seven. But I think there is some sense of fulfillment that comes from wanting to help other young other, helping young people. Right. And I think that that is the advantage right there. They it makes them feel good. They know they're not getting, you know, actual real value out of it. It's not a transactional thing. And I think as soon as you can understand that, you can use it as a superpower. 
Absolutely. I mean, we've both been in that situation. Like yeah. I emailed back and forth with Bill Ackman. I've interviewed back and forth with Mark Cuban. It's like a strong subject line and an interesting body paragraph about your age and why you're going to take over the world one day. Like they love that chutzpah. They love that gusto. And I think a lot of young people are are timid and they they take no for an answer. And I think I listened to an interview with Eric and he's like, what makes me different from all my other peers in high school is I don't take no for an answer. Right. And I think he's really exemplified that ability. But I also think that when you then get the chance, right, say someone that does give you some time out of their day, right? It's a really successful person. They've agreed to speak with you. You've got to know your shit, yeah. right? That's where you have to make up for the inexperience is being prepared. And I actually had one of my mentors invest in one of Eric's companies. And what was interesting about that entire thing is that he may be 15 years old, but he knows all of the lingo, right? He is up to date with all the VC terms, all of the FOMO little tactics that you can use the whole, hey, I got one spot left in my yep. round if you want in, like not showing any desperation. And I think that's how you make up for being young and inexperienced is just doing the prep work ahead of time. Right. You get on the call, you're like, uh, 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 yeah, I'm a high school <laughs> student, like, whatever. No, like, yeah. know your fucking shit. Like, and know I, what you want, too. Yeah. I, I mean, when I would interview some of these executives, I never went into it cold. Like, I yeah. always researched everything about them, their company. I had my script there on the right. I think that's when I knew I would be a very rich person when I was 20 <laughs> years old. I was like, I'm literally talking to dozens of the most successful people in the world and I've managed to find a way to do it, I know that I'm going to be successful in the future. And I think if more young people were to embrace and like just try and ditch the insecurity and follow the example of Eric, they'll understand more and more the secrets to the universe, right? And the secrets to the universe and to entrepreneurship aren't the ones that you can just like learn like that. You actually have to do, right? And reach out, send the message. Remember, make like, the post. Closed mouths don't get fed. No. Right? And I think about on one of the FOMO lines that we would use when it came to trying to get investors to, to fund around, right? The small time where we thought our future was going to become bigger than all of the, the Wall like, Street Journal. Yeah, the, all of the legacy media outlets. Yeah, yeah. And we would go to the biggest names in this industry. And we said, hey, we've got one spot left in our round. Right. You in or not. Nah. And right. we did the same shit for yeah, advertising. We're exactly. like, hey, like we have a, only have like one spot left for like this quarter. Would love to, to get you involved. And that's something I cherish. Like that knowledge is something I'm going to apply to all of my future ventures. And FOMO is so important in the investor landscape. And it's just so important in business in general. Right. Are you the hot new thing? You've got to get in. And that's something that young people can have. It's the confidence. It's not your experience. It's not your skill set. Work on the confidence side of things. Right. How can you develop, just like get wet, like try and reach out to people, try and like get out of your comfort zone. It's the confidence that's going to get investors to take a chance on you, to have customers take a chance on you, right? That's the skill of being a young entrepreneur is the gusto. And I think that you have to do a little bit of work in the gym to, to get there. For me, it was doing these interviews on the podcast. There's multiple ways to do it. Force yourself into the right room, ask the question, go up and shake the hand. I think there's a bit of a fine line though, because- you do want to be confident, but you don't want to be arrogant. You don't want to be off-putting, right? You want yeah. to be, uh, you want to hustle, but you don't want to seem desperate, right? And so these are little like gray areas that you have to find a, find out and navigate well. And I think the way you can kind of go about this is as someone, maybe you just 
you don't know what you don't know, right? And so finding experienced people and almost role-playing this with them, right? And being able to kind of lean on their experience, right? And be like, hey, this is how I'm thinking about this approach. If I tweak it this way, how do you think people would perceive this, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think tons of people are willing to give you advice, but you got to make sure it's the right advice, right? You're you're going to people you can actually trust and they're actually going to be a good sounding board for you. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's talk about his company, though, Aviana. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's like a search engine for early stage startups for like investors to get like better deal flow, right? Um, you have PitchBook, you have Crunchbase, right? Like, I'm not really sure like how different his platform is necessarily. Um, but I think the reason people are investing in him in many ways is just like to get in with him on the ground floor, right? Like, again, like what I said, if he's 15 now, what he's going to be doing at 23, right? That's really interesting to an investor to like be along for the ride. Like even if they're cutting him a small check, maybe this company doesn't fan out, right? But he is going to go on and do incredible things. And but there's also like a downside to that and that like he doesn't want he can't be like the home alone. You know Macaulay Culkin, like the home alone star? Of course. You know, after that, no one ever saw him in another movie or TV show, right? So he's gotta avoid the Macaulay Culkin syndrome and like continue to innovate and continue to build real businesses. But right now he's riding this high of having monopolized the kid entrepreneur in the social media market and build that personal brand for himself. Yeah, I mean, what sticks out to me about him is just all these growth hack type tactics that he's used, right? The Calendly thing is one example, but did you hear about this drop he tried to do? It was called Not a Plunger. Are you familiar with it? No, it sounds like Lieberman's Plunger game. <laughs> Why is it talking <laughs> about plungers? Teamed up. <laughs> but no, so he made this drop. It was called Not a Plunger, and they sold out in a day, okay? And they spent $3,000 making this thing. It was unprofitable. They lost a shit ton of money on it. But it was one of those things that he was able to, again, lean into his shtick. So he takes calls from the bathroom, right? And so he thought, hey, what if I made this, like, plunger device? And it was modeled after, like, Elon Musk's boring company, right? And like so, the flamethrower? Like the flamethrower. And he just leaned into it, like, so much, right? Like, he priced it at $42. Want to guess why he priced it at $42? Uh, why? 420 Right, like he, he just does that these kid little has not tactics. smoked weed. I guarantee you, <laughs> <laughs> that kid is that kid has not smoked weed. Yeah, I bet you've never drank alcohol. Look, you, and that's good. That's good. That's yeah. Good. We we advise all underage people oh, not to not to abuse that. But mm. um, what I thought was so funny about this is like he took it to an extreme. All right, so this is a high pressure stainless steel splash proof plunger okay like it has they claim 420 times more horsepower than the plunger you own right he's constantly doing shticks like this and i think that's why he won't ever just fade into irrelevance right because he's just naturally creative he can tap into that i think the one thing i disagree with his approach is i feel like he's spread way too thin Mm -hmm. right like he is going to school and You know, he said he can't drop out because, quote unquote, he has Asian parents. Right. Like, I get that. I have Indian parents like it's it's a thing. Right. You need to go finish your education. So he's spending eight hours of his day in school. Right. On top of that, he has this multimillion dollar VC fund and he's trying to build a startup that is supposed to be fast growing in a very competitive space. How do you actively make time to go do three very challenging and separate things all at the same time? I am a firm believer that in order to be the best at something, you really have to focus and channel your efforts, right? Mm-hmm. Because what 
how do you actually win, right? It is, you're thinking about problems, you're thinking about solutions, right? And it is the one thing that is consuming, or maybe even two things that is consuming your headspace throughout the day, right? That is how you can think critically and come up with unique solutions. And I think when you're spread out too thin, it actually is to your demise. I mean, I have to agree with that. I think when I started Our Future, it was like what I said in retrospect when the acquisition closed was every day I swung my my legs out of bed with a vision to put another brick on the wall, right? Every day I just put another brick on this wall that I was building and eventually it was tall enough to earn us the honors and the accomplishments in which we got, right? So I think focus is key. There's no bigger turnoff to me than seeing a young founder who had their head in a million places. I want to do an app. I want to do this. I want to do that. It's very easy to have shiny object syndrome, especially once you have a little bit of success, right? Mm, you yeah. just want to do like a ton of stuff. You want to be leveraged. You want to be like these Twitter guys. Like you want to be like Wilkinson and have be investing in all these projects and then find an operator to do this or, or that. But it's really hard to do that at scale to have a bunch of different projects going. You need a lot of capital and a big team. So I think, again, yeah, advice for young entrepreneurs keep your head in the game, don't have shiny object syndrome, and focus on something where you have a core skill that can grow and you can make money and then eventually hire a team and scale it into some some major opportunity and move on to the next thing. Something that sticks out to me about what you said is building brick by brick, right? Because I think one thing you have to realize is that you should have an end outcome in mind, but recognize that the path there, you have to be flexible on. You cannot be rigid, right? right? And I think for us, a big learning was that the goalpost changed, right? It went from, we want to build the biggest standalone media giant that the world has ever seen to, hey, actually, now understanding the limitations of this industry, we want to partner with one of the bigger media companies and build something truly magnificent, right? And so the goalpost changed, but our path was fluid, right? If we had taken, we had almost pigeonholed ourselves, it would have been very, very hard, right? What were some of those things that I think could have done that had we raised a shit ton of VC money, right? We would have had no choice, right? We always optimize for optionality, especially in the early days. And I think that truly helped us a lot um, in, in the long term. I think that's a great takeaway and it leads, it's going to lead me into the next story about Casey Adams and I'll get to the tie-in. Yeah. So my next hook. So 16 year old kid has a football injury, uh, gets paralyzed for uh, a few months in recovery and starts reading a bunch of business books. He ends up becoming the teen interviewer, ends up with Larry King, some huge celebrities, Rick Ross on his podcast, then exits his first tech company by the age of 21, now is building an AI business, has a big podcast. The man goes by the name of Casey Adams. He's a good friend of mine, and I think he's done something really, really, really cool. So Casey kind of did what Eric did and what I did as well as reached out to people and had conversations and published them and did the podcast route. I was also a little jealous of Casey, actually, because I was interviewing big name people at his age. And so was he. And I was like, oh, he started like three years before me. I was like, oh, this guy's like 250K Instagram followers. Like, what the hell? Like, my podcast is better. Uh, It was cool. when we actually uh, were able to become friends. Um, When you find someone like you're a little bit competitive with, and then you end up at the end of the day, you realize that there's market space for you all. Right. It's like Sam and Austin now being friends. Sam, I'm uh, the founder of The Hustle in Austin, our our CEO at Morning Brew. Um, So he was talking with he was like doing a little bit of agency work as as well as his podcast and he had like an automotive tiktoker reach out to him and be like hey like ferrari reached out um can you guys make me uh they're they're asking for a media deck i don't even know what that is and he's like yeah sure we'll, we'll, we'll we'll spin it up for you so manually you know he he builds like you know this powerpoint for the kid guy gets a deal with ferrari and then he's like yo like penzoil reached out can you update all my numbers 
And that's when the light bulb moment came off. It's like build for annoyances. Don't you don't have to reinvent the wheel, right? Like Casey built a platform where it takes live data, right, from all your social channels, gives you a nice digital resume, and it was right as the creator economy was taking off. It was a phenomenal idea. And it was from that experience of like, oh, like this is a slight pain point. It's an annoyance for a creator to constantly update their numbers. But by building a, a software platform in that space, he was able to to eventually build a company that could be acquired and had a subscription business model. Like it was really, really good. Have you used the product? I did. I used it back. I, I never actually sent it to a brand. Like I was always really big on you and I having our own like proprietary like yeah, yeah. deck. But I did actually play around with it and like, you know, threw the numbers in and stuff. It's an ingenious product because it's so simple, right? So simple. There, there's not anything that crazy when it comes to actually building it out. You could probably do it with a few overseas developers. And that's probably what he did in the early stages. But there's a few things that that stick out to me, right? Again, he used his license for being young and he was getting these interviews for with really, really big name people that were able to become uh, sponsors and really supporters and mentors of his, right? And so he positioned himself really well when it came to building the right connections. He himself was a really good podcaster, right? And he got signed by this bigger podcast network right now. So now he's in this massive network with a tons of other creators and stuff, right? right? But again, he played in his circle of competence, right? Now, if he had gone and tried to build a car or something, like, and what he was doing was podcasting in his in his day to day, and he was actually like creating content. Like that is very very hard to do. But he created a product that actually stemmed from an agency need, and that is actually something that's really interesting about agencies. Is you're kind of on the front line with these companies, yeah. and you get uh, like this first person view into what their problems are. And right? then it's like, what, and then how can I productize? Yeah, how, how do you develop how something you out of this, yeah. right? And so I think that's something Casey did really interesting and really well. And then he did it in a short time span too, right? Like he built and sold this company in 18 months, right? That's pretty crazy. And Viral Nation is pretty big, right? Yeah. Like people know what that company is. It wasn't just some small sale. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think what's, what's really impressive as well is yeah. his flexibility. So- he was in talks with investors and Viral Nation came in with the acquisition conversation while he was in talks with investors. It was just like us with Morning Brew and like a few other companies who were interested in, in taking us on, right? And he knew the destination. He knew that he could build a big company out of this. But then, you know, he was like, what's really important is for me, my co-founder was like getting a win and having a product that could live forever, right? And I think we had like the same same idea. And he ended up getting into those talks and and selling the business instead of raising money. And I, I think that's another great example of, uh, you know, the, the goalpost stays the same, but, the, yeah. you know, the distance from which you kick the ball is the same. Uh, perhaps that's a good analogy. Yeah, man. I also really am interested in how he went about building this company, right? Because when he had this idea, right, again, identified through an agency need, he didn't just go start developing automatically, right? What he did was he took the idea and then he went to five to 10 creators who he thought would be a good use case for this and then said, hey, is this something you would actually use? Is this an actual problem that you guys have? Like, is this a nice to have or is this a need to have, yeah. right? And I think in a world where... Um, you know, people kind of amplify their numbers and you kind of see some fugazi happening yeah, behind yeah. the screens, right? Like this was a very needed product. Well, yeah, it was also good for brands. Yeah. This was good for brands. Like it was great for the creators, obviously. Yeah. It was good for brands because they could verify the social In numbers. In real time. Yeah. We love, you know, we all, us creators and media guys, we love to pump numbers. It's a vanity <laughs> game. I pump those numbers, baby. That's like my skill. 
is putting an extra zero on that power there, point. Charlie Javis. I love putting an extra zero. <laughs> Maybe two extra zeros, all right? Oh man. But no, it was it was good for both sides, the B2B and the B2C angle. And yeah. I, I think it was I think it was really, really smart. Um and that uh media kits like was a great extension of what he was already doing. So I think that if Casey had tried to build this product having not done the podcast before, it wouldn't have succeeded. So Try and like start your business career. Like I know some people listening probably already have a business, but maybe you're maybe you're early, maybe you're high school, college, whatever. Like try and build a business that takes very little friction to get started. Agency, mm. right? That's what gave Casey his idea. And the podcast is what gave him his investor connections, the gusto and the confidence. So I think creating content, whether it's TikTok, YouTube, podcast, great first business, right? If you can actually get people's attention and start monetizing that through brand deals, AdSense, whatever, that's such a great first business to start. You understand distribution and then you start to learn like the more operational side to things and getting money through the door and hiring people and getting a team around you. The same goes with agencies, right? The only thing you need to do to start an agency is have one skill that you can do fully by yourself and have someone pay you to do that. In Nick Casey's case, it was like, make a PowerPoint. He probably had that skill, probably an artistic guy, like good at marketing and shit, did that. And then it became like an agency, right? For us, it was like editing like these TikTok clips. And then once you're in that position, you're generating some money. Now you can start thinking about productizing it. And it's like, you start as a creator and then Mr. Beast's Feastables, right? Start just content, then you, then you build a business. And I think it's a great flow. Right. Yeah. I also think that one thing you have to recognize is that as young people, we get so caught up with the money. Right. It is like, how can we make something that makes money super quickly? Right. And in the beginning stages, you should actually be optimized for learning, like put the money to the side. Right. Like whether it's starting an agency, go get the deals and even do the work for free. Right. That is the biggest yeah. hack. Build up the case studies. Right. Like when Casey probably went to these creators who he was trying to onboard for the product, he probably wasn't charging them full price. Right. He probably was giving it out for free so he can test and iterate. And then that actually builds dividends over the long term. Right. Because. If you can get a bunch of people to buy in early, now you can go and charge premium prices to the actual customers with deep pockets and have the ability to pay the rates you want, right? And I think that is a big mental unlock or mental hack you have to recognize. I think it's a good piece of advice. It's also strange you saying that because Simi giving something away for free. <laughs> I, brought, I, brought this guy on. I brought this guy on so we, I would stop giving shit away for free. And uh, But no, it, it is a good it is a good thesis just to like get things started and like provide value, right? As a young person, provide value, provide value, provide value, provide value. Don't expect to make money. You will make money. I did my podcast for a year and a half before I started a, a media company that was profitable, right? Do shit, learn, be curious, and it will all pan out for you if you're putting yourself out in the world and seizing opportunities. Yeah, and I actually think when you're thinking about growth, right, again, going back to identifying the need and then almost offering some kind of teaser, right? Like you have to think about switching costs, right? So what is someone currently using to solve this need? Maybe it doesn't exist, which is great, right? Um, or what are they actually using and how can you get the reduce the friction for them wanting to join your product? So something I thought was really interesting about um, uh, about what Casey did is he went to a shit ton of Twitch creators 
and gave them uh, free Twitch memberships. And that actually led to over 10,000 people signing up for media kits after just three months of launching, Damn. right? So yeah, he did have to absorb the cost, but he was thinking five steps ahead. It yeah. was, hey, I might have to, to, to burn some extra money here, but this is something these creators need, right? Like they have to use the Twitch platform. Let me right. just give it, to, give it to them for free. Let me let me add in some kind of carrot here that'll get them to follow the stick and, and actually want to be users of my product, you know? scratch my back i'll scratch yours kind of thing yeah yeah for sure yeah. so before we uh let's before we move on to our next story yeah. and wrap the show uh let's talk about maybe why we don't dis- disagree maybe with what he's currently doing so uh casey started a platform called listener.fm so it just helps speed up podcast post production uses chat gbt opening eye whatever yeah show notes episode titles whatever um i think there's so many people like building an AI product right now that's just powered by GPT. It's just a skin, it's just a website. And I think it's really hard to be different, like sufficiently different. It feels like there's a million different podcast post-production AI tools right now. Let's just be like honest here, right? Like a lot of these companies being built off of generative AI are going straight to the trash can, right? You are building off of the same platform and the same tools that is available to everyone else, right? And they're all commoditized products, right? right? I've seen 10 different versions of Listener FM already. Yeah, dude, it's like sugar or oil. Yeah, oil. and you're one update away from your entire company or product yeah. being rendered obsolete, right? Like, there may be one massive chat GPT update that takes place next week, and boom, Listener FM's gone, right? Yeah. And so I actually think that a lot of people trying to build in this, like, AI space or trying to leverage these AI tools and platforms that exist, you should probably hold off, right? Like, there's so much change going right now that you actually can't think long term. And so you should wait for the dust to settle before you go and try to navigate the space. I just think that there's way too many moving pieces. And you have to understand the game in which you're playing, right? And when there's this much variability, you can't actually build something defensible unless you're like building the core infrastructure of something really new and unique. Right. I think with a lot of these generative AI tools, like the emperor has no clothes. Like you're, <laughs> like you're literally just using like chat GBT and like it's just not sufficiently different. And like yeah. you have to reach millions of users to make a five, 10, 15, $50 AI product, like a big business. Yeah. We've talked a lot about like extending your core competency into the next high leverage opportunity. With Eric, it was extending his competency, being a startup builder and being the young baby Zuck and doing a fund because he attracts a lot of young founders in his, his network. That's why investors want him to have a fund. With Casey, it was going from podcasts to like media kits, right? Because it was a very natural extension from his content background, Instagram background. Um, but what a lot of people are doing now is taking that core competency, that skill they have, and they're trying to AI it. They're trying to AI-atize it. I don't even know if that's a word. They're trying <laughs> it, to, it is now. They're yeah. all trying to AI-atize it into generative AI. I would just have make people be a little careful of that, right? Is this coming from experience here? <laughs> well, Mr., we're going to turn our future into an AI media company. <laughs> it's okay. It's not as bad as when I wanted to turn us into a Web3 media company. Oh, man. Maybe two months before Doquan shit the bed. Uh so just be careful about, you know, it's another shiny object syndrome, this AI shit. Like if you have a really great thesis, like great, but like might be a little bit too late if you're trying to do something dinky and small, right? Yes, sir. Uh, maybe it's a cash grab, but again, like the economics of five, 10, $15 subscriptions aren't that attractive to me. Um, let me get into my next hook, right? Yeah. If I was going to build an AI product, it would be hooks because you know I'm the master of that shit. All right. Two Gen Z entrepreneurs have raised $20 million to help wealthy urban professionals get drunk. What do you think about that? 
Sounds like they love to party. Sounds like they, we all love to party. According to their CEO, it's the most <laughs> basic of human needs. The company's called Partiful. They brand themselves as the Facebook group or Facebook events for hot people. Um, so it's all like Gen Z graphics. Like it's very aesthetic. And I remember using it for the first time when I arrived in Austin because our boy Sully invited us to a pregame. So, yeah, get invited to a fuck ton of pregames on this part of a lap. I did it for my birthday party, which was absolute banger. Um, so if that says anything about the success of this product, um, it, it certainly uh, matters here. Um, so, yeah, you set up an event and then you'd like text people. I think what they did different from Evite and Facebook and such. For one, Gen Z wasn't using Facebook. Big market opportunity. And then the second thing was that nobody like checks email on Gen Z as much as their phone. That's why I went to like mobile content. TikTok or Morning Brew's email, I thought there was space there, right? Um, and it sends you an SMS notification, keeps you abreast of the party, and it's like a good platform. You can split up the cost of events. There's a Venmo feature in there. Uh, good functionality, solid product. Uh, but $20 million, that's fucking nuts. They have millions of people using this product too. I think what yeah. sticks out to me is like, one, it is very easy to use, right? It's just like all text and SMS-based, right? Like you don't have to do all the Eventbrite login stuff and do all this complicated shit. But I, it's also like they kind of play into the network effects thing, right? Where it's like I'm throwing a party, right? I'm going to invite, say, 50 to 60 people, right? It's going to be super easy. I'm going to play into the whole Gen Z aesthetic. It's all yeah. fun and colorful and shit. Yeah. They're going to sign up. Now those 50 people are going to use it for their own parties, right? Yeah. And what a great way to create that, like, uh, flywheel for growth. Oh, dude, I love social businesses. I'm thinking Cards Against Humanity. Made a great video about them. I remember interviewing the CEO of Spikeball back in the day and being like, whenever people are – you have to invite your friends to play with you. Yeah. And then people also in the park see you playing, Yeah. right? So I think the visibility behind these kind of like – it's like our boys who are starting Fetty, uh, an awesome party bus company here in Austin – um, they're also very social sharing, right? I, there must be some statistic at Partiful that's made Andreessen Horowitz invest 20 million. Now, maybe Andreessen Horowitz isn't as smart as they used to be, right? But like, I, I don't know. I think the, the rate of a repeat user is high or there must be some incredible conversion rate before by, of being invited to a Partiful event and then throwing and hosting your own Partiful event, right? That's the money opportunity, right? It's not getting someone to attend your party. It's being a host. Mm. Being a host and then paying for the upgraded features, which is what they say is their, their revenue model. But I can't tell you many businesses that have raised $20 million to do like a slight add-on, right? It's like these Lincoln bio companies too. It's like you pay $10, $15, $20 a month for like extra features to put a different color on your Lincoln bio or whatever. Like it's a tough sell. Very small percentage of, of core users end up converting to a paid feature. It's why like Facebook made all their money from running ads. It's like make money off people not paying you money. Well, logically, what they probably did and what the pitch was about was we'll get the people first and then we'll figure out how to monetize later. Right. Yeah. And personally, they have the distribution. Yeah, they have the distribution. Yeah. But let me be honest, like I love businesses that can be profitable day one. Right. Like I understand as you grow, you may be unprofitable, but if you want to build a business that is sustainable over the long term. You have to make the unit economics make sense, mm -hmm. right? It that to me, those are the most compelling business opportunities. And I think if you're losing money day one, right, like and, and for years, yeah, and there's no clear plan, a clear path to monetization. That is a risky bet, right? And I think that's just something you have to think about. For them, 
you know, there's two main angles I think people suppose they will make money, which is either creating some premium version with more features or going to an ad-supported model. Let me be real with you. An ad-supported model sucks. We've been in media long enough. It ain't that fun. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I think programmatic ad-supported models are way better than, like, non-programmatic And that when I say that. Brand okay, deals and such for are not Snapchat, though. Yeah, but, like, they're still a multi-billion dollar company. Let's yeah. be real. I think I, I just don't see a good ad model with with Partiful like and, and the user interface. People aren't spending a lot of time on it. I don't see a good thing. Some guy was throwing shade. He was like, yeah, I think some big alcohol or like party brand events brand is going to buy them. Um, Evite is a publicly traded company. It's worth 900 million. Um, you know, that's that's pretty that's that's a lot of money. Um, could they become that for Gen Z? Maybe they're kind of poised to do that. But you know, it's you have to get you yeah. have to get to ticket sales. You have to get to percentage of products sold for that to work. Yeah. And they already said they don't want to work with businesses. So they're already like shutting doors. Dude, they made a tweet that's like, yeah, like excited to announce we've raised 20 million to make no money. We just want to help you guys party, babes, or some shit. And it blew up. Look, they're really playing into the vibe. I will say both of them are very impressive people, right? Both went to Princeton. They both worked at Palantir. I think one of them worked at, at Facebook or Meta, right? Like, they're obviously very intelligent human beings, but I don't understand kind of the, the plan here, right? Like, I saw something about how they're planning to monetize off of, off of creating recyclable, disposable cameras that are, spo that. <laughs> that are supposed to sell around $20 a piece, yeah. right? Like... These are things that don't scale. What the hell am I going to do with a, with a camera, yeah. right? Like, bro, look at fucking Kodak. This shit was dead <laughs> years ago. <laughs> yeah, oh, but centuries I, ago. Listen, I do think you don't mentioned do that. you don't, mentioned don't e sell cameras. You mentioned Eventbrite having like this big, you know, market cap or whatever, right? Like, they may be a good buyer for this business. Eventbrite or Snapchat, this would probably yeah. be a very natural fit. Like, if they decide to exit to one of these two companies. Yeah, I mean, again, they could get their win, right? Like we did, right? You get a bunch of viewer, you know, we had a bunch of users, a bunch of clients, whatever, prime for an acquisition. They probably are too. But dude, they can't do kind of what me and you and Casey did. They raised 20 mil. Mm. They've got to return Limits money for investors. Option. Yeah. Limits their options a lot, dude. And like, apparently they only have like eight engineers. And like, it's like people, they aren't improving the product fast enough. I don't know. My theories are going to have to go B2B. They're going to have to go mainstream events or they're going to go kaput. Mm. Mark the mark, mark my words. All right, noted. Come back in episode fifty to see how it all plays out. But I will say I respect their founder Shreya Murthy, and I respect uh, I respect the strategies they took in embracing all the all the hate. Yeah, it's like they kind of they knew the stigma and they they yeah. really played into it. They Just did like not Eric. give a shit. I love play it. In, play into the stick, play into the hype, whatever it is, accept it and use it to create more opportunities. Yeah, build your brand. Should we wrap? Let's wrap. Thank you everybody for listening to the first episode of our future podcast. We're super pumped. Uh, going to be bring, talking about so many other cool founders in our network and outside it. Um, hit me up on Twitter at Michael Sikand, Michael, S-I-K-A-N-D. Um, shoot me your business if you're working on one, you're under 25, you know, young founder of such. Uh, we'd love to talk about your company and talk about the tactics you used and maybe even interview in the future. Yeah, I think same here. Shameless Twitter plug, at underscore Simi, underscore. But uh, hit us with your ideas. Truly, this is a show where we want to highlight other young, successful people or people who are just on the come up, right? Like, this is the show for you. Um, so recognize we're here. Hit us with your ideas. Hit us with your thoughts. We're here to listen. I always wanted, like, I could have never dreamed to have a podcast with Morning Brew. This is super excited. Excited Looking to do it with you, bro. Real, dude. Let's go. All right, bro. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, Cheers. Thank you. Stay frosty. Peace. <laughs>